Everybody ready to rock and roll? Let's go. All right. This is Ask a Biologist, a program about the living world, and I'm Dr. Biology, here with my co-host, Marissa Henderson from Mesa Academy. Marissa, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Well, like you said, I go to Mesa Academy, and I'm in seventh grade. I'm 12 years old, and I have a little brother who is a normal little brother, (laughs) and I love learning, and I like science. Oh, what a perfect combination. Well, Marissa, have you heard anyone use the term mad science or mad scientist? Mm-hmm. You have. Okay. Well, today we get to do something that's not really mad science. Instead, we're going to be talking about mud science. I don't know about you, but I've never thought about using mud to help cure disease or as a treatment. But I think we might learn a little bit in our story today about mud or what someone might call clay a little bit later. In fact, I've talked about soil in another show with Ferran Garcia-Pichel. He's a microbiologist in the School of Life Sciences, and he actually had some really fun things to say. And in particular, he didn't like it when I said a cup of dirt. He really said it's a cup of soil. The reason he says that is it's not something dirty. You know, that's the way we usually think of dirt is something bad. And there are a lot of amazing things that are in soil, and I think we're going to learn a lot of amazing things in mud. To do this, we have Shelley Hedell. She's a professor in the School of Life Sciences and a researcher in the Center for Infectious Diseases and Vaccinology at the Biodesign Institute at Arizona State University. Her laboratory studies infections caused by bacteria such as tuberculosis and also the unusual treatment for Beruli ulcers. And that's where the mud comes in. Yes, you heard it correctly, mud. And today, Marissa and I are going to learn more about the story behind mud and how it might be healing some people. Welcome to the Ask a Biologist show, Professor Hedell. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you and Marissa. Do you mind if we call you Shelley? Oh, absolutely. It's required. It's required? It's required. Okay. All right. Marissa, um, what do you think about when I say the word mud? Kind of dirty and pigs. <laughs> dirty and pigs. Pigs. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, I think we're going to be corrected here, and I'm going to at least be corrected, because we're not really talking about mud, are we? Not really. We're talking about a component of mud. Now, let me put out that I am a microbiologist. I'm not a geologist, so I understand just the basics as well. And basically the way I sort of understand it is soil is everything and might be called dirt as well, but it's the decaying matter from dead and dying plants and from animals. It's sand. It's clay minerals. It's very, very rich. And so one component of soil and or dirt can be clay. And so clays are actually minerals, and a lot of people don't really understand that. But they are usually a silicate structure that have a a number of different ions that are contained within it. It's a very important component of the soil and of dirt. But what we're talking about today is specifically clay minerals. So how on earth did you ever get started studying minerals? Well, as a microbiologist, I was just as shocked to find myself studying clay minerals at this point in my career. But 
obviously because I'm involved, there's a microbiological component to it. And so basically back in 2000, there was a French humanitarian who actually traveled to Central and Western Africa and began treating kids or children that were afflicted with a disease that's known as Borrelia ulcer. And that's caused by a type of mycobacterial organism that is somewhat related to tuberculosis and leprosy. And what this infection does is it basically starts attacking the skin and starts destroying it. So it makes a toxin that is involved in destroying it. But the big problem with Borrelia ulcer is that it's extraordinarily difficult to treat and extraordinarily difficult to cure. And so you can imagine that if something's eating away at your skin, and there's no way to stop it. It's just going to continue and continue and continue. And so antibiotics don't work once it becomes a bad, bad infection and starts to destroy the skin. And so she traveled down to Africa because she had been using two different clays to treat her kids. They would fall and scrape their knee and develop a sore, and we would put Neosporin on it in this country. Well, she put clay on her kids, and they never had a problem. Their skin would heal. They would go back and be no worse for it. So her husband was a diplomat, and he actually, I'm not sure how, but got wind of some of these kids in Central and Western Africa that were afflicted with this horrifying disease. And so she traveled to Africa in a humanitarian effort and started treating them with hydrated clay minerals, which is basically purified clay that's mixed with water to create like a gel solution. And we have some clay here so you can sort of feel what that feels like. And what she did initially was that she traveled to Africa and she began treating them with clays from Africa. Because she had used clays from France, so a clay is clay is clay. It should all be the same. And it had no effect. And so she said, okay, I, I need to get the clays from my home country of France. And so she imported those clays and started treating these children with two different clays from France. And lo and behold, they started healing. I mean, devastating infections. And so I got involved some years later because that was anecdotal information. It wasn't controlled. There were no physicians there that were treating these patients. And so we were interested in how were these clay minerals actually affecting the organism that causes the disease? Do people actually die from these ulcers? It takes a very long time to actually die from the ulcers. The infection can become systemic in a subgroup of population, meaning it gets into the blood and is spread throughout the body. But it takes a really long time, and usually they die of something else, some other secondary infection or some other problem. Okay. All right. Nonetheless, this is a really, really bad disease. It's a bad disease because it's devastating because you can see it. It's not something that's going on inside of the body and later you die, but these people have disfiguring wounds. And it's much like we saw historically with leprosy. So you're, you're kind of young, so you might not be totally familiar with leprosy. But there were leper colonies, and they had these leprosy lesions, and they were put away because they were lepers and they were dirty and nobody wanted to be around them. And so they sort of have the same connotation with Borrelia ulcer, and they're embarrassed because they do have these infections that are on their skin and they can't get rid of them. So what is it about the mud or clay (laughs) that it can be used to treat these particular ulcers? 
that's the one billion dollar question. And when you become a scientist and figure it out, you'll be rich. <laughs> well, and, and actually, we don't know yet. And that is the whole basis of some of the studies that are going on in my lab. One, you know, do all clays kill all bacteria? The answer is no on both sides. Some clays kill some bacteria, and there are very few of them out there that we've actually identified. And so that's the golden question is how were these clays actually able to, one, kill the bacteria, and then maybe even heal the wounds that had developed. And we don't know the answer to either one of them yet. And we've only been studying this for about two and a half years now, and so we still have a long way to go to understanding how the clays can actually kill bacteria. And then number two, can they actually heal wounds? So not all clays are created equal. Not all clays are created equal. They're extraordinarily different. I mean, if you think about it on the chemical level, all it takes is one chemical component to make a clay different. Well, you brought some samples in, which I love. They're actually dry. These are dry. And And when I think of clay, I'm always thinking maybe about class where I'd be modeling with clay or something. And this looks like powder to me. What gets stuck under your tires. Right. Or you slip and fall when you walk through it. Clays are actually defined as minerals that are less than two microns, Hmm. which is extraordinary. This is 0.002 millimeters. You can see a millimeter on a ruler. Very, very, very small. And so these are actually fine powdered clays. You should feel them. These are just arbitrary names that that we gave them that Hmm. don't mean anything. But one of these can kill bacteria and one of them can't. Powdery. Like oh. like talc. Like talcum powder. Yeah. It's like flour. It's like flour, yeah, right? Yeah, like flour. Well, in this case, it's green flour. That one's green. And this one has a greenish tint yeah. to it as well, sort of gray-green. So did you feel that one? Why don't you feel the one that, that Dr. Biology has? Are they different? Yeah, they are a little different. One of them's thicker and one of them's kind of thinner. Do you think that's important? One's coarser and one's finer in the powder. Yeah, and that might be just how they were milled because mm-hmm. you can mill. You know, have you ever mm-hmm. used a pepper mill? Yeah. And you can change that little dial at the bottom so you get coarse pepper and then you get fine pepper. It's the same thing with, with the clays. I actually have a napkin somewhere. Well, here, I'll give you uh, a uh, Kleenex and we can wipe that off our fingers. Okay. Okay, and so that was the dry clay. And so then what I did was I took some of the dry clay and just hydrated it and made it a gel or what's known as a poultice-like material. And these aren't the French clays. These are other clays from the United States. But basically how it was used in treatment was basically you just put it on your skin like a gel. Okay, I'm game. Okay. I'm going to try a little bit. Here you go. All right. Oh, it's interesting. It seems almost... I don't know. Mine seems a little oily feeling in a way or looking. It's kind of like lotion. It's like lotion. Yeah, yeah, right. right. Okay. Do you want to feel this one, Dr. Biology? Okay. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to do some painting here. It feels cool and smoothing, and people will pay $100 in Scottsdale to go get a clay facial. And you're getting it here at Arizona State University. (laughs) School of Life Sciences for free. And one of these can kill bacteria. One of them can't. Okay. And so we have a 50-50 chance of picking the right one. I'm going to pick the lighter colored green one that was seemed to be a little smoother. So this one. Okay. And what uh, are you going to do? I'll do the other one, the mm-hmm. darker green. Okay. The winner is Marissa. 
Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. All right. So we, we've actually shown that this particular clay in its hydrated state can actually kill bacteria. Now, how did you do that in a simple form? In a simple way, we follow clinical microbiological approaches where basically we just grow up the bacteria and we have it in a hydrated suspension at a certain number of bacteria. And then we add the powdered clay minerals directly to that bacteria and we're rotating it in a suspension at 37 degrees Celsius, which is body temperature for 24 hours. And then we perform dilutions and put the remaining solution onto Petri dishes to see what grows. And I see some Petri dishes here. We've got Petri dishes. And and this isn't Mm. actually from some of the clay studies, but I wanted to bring sort of what bacteria look like on a plate. Yeah. So this would be Escherichia coli or Salmonella typhimurium. You'll hear it on the news. They'll say E. coli. E. coli, Mm -hmm. right. Salmonella typhimurium. And this is a laboratory strain, so it won't hurt you. But on this particular plate, it's good. But and it's also sealed with parafilm, so it, and it's not going to jump off the plate, so you'll be okay. So it's sort of yellow. What I wanted to also bring was E. coli would look just like this on the plate as well. So another thing that we can do related more to our other studies is that we can make bacteria turn colors. And so in this one, this is E. coli where we've put in a plasmid, which is another piece of DNA on a circularized piece of DNA that will allow the bacteria to turn red. And so we can put different colored DNA molecules to make the bacteria turn different colors. And so we can use that as as sort of tools. So one of the organisms that we use in our studies is MRSA, which means methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, which you hear a lot about on the news. It's out in the community. It can kill you relatively quickly. This is not MRSA, but this is Staphylococcus aureus or Staph aureus. And on this particular plate, it will turn a yellow color. And then this bacteria over here this is normal flora so this is can you see the bacteria on there just barely look at it real 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 close it's like in kind of strands almost sometimes what i did was i I struck it out on there with a little q-tip so i took that from my own body and most people would go oh that's gross (laughs) yeah (laughs) but it's on my body it's on dr biology's body and it's on marissa's body so this was from behind my ear Ah. i swabbed it and then swabbed it on this plate so that's telling you that the bacteria are supposed to be there and they help to keep us safe as part of the normal flora or the normal bacteria that are supposed to be in your body so if you ever want to find some bacteria from your body behind the ear is a good place and it's actually a really important point that we have a tendency to say bacteria and we give the ooh bacteria as in all bacteria is bad. And that's not true. There are a lot of things that are very important and actually help keep us healthy. So we want to be a little careful about thinking that all bacteria is bad. And there is, there's a lot of bacteria in mud and dirt and in the soil and it's there for a reason and it's there to – help degrade different things and help break down plant material and, and whatnot. So as Dr. Biology said, not all bacteria is bad. So if clay minerals become a popular treatment, how would they be administered to patients? Well, right now this is strictly being approached as an alternative therapeutic treatment, and a lot of people in this uh, country as well as many other countries are looking towards alternative, non-traditional medical treatments. And so the approach that I have is as a topical treatment, much like it was used to treat burly ulcer patients. We're not advocating to go and, and drink this or to eat this clay. A lot of people in this country and many other countries do eat and drink clay daily. They, really? Yes. 
Marissa, have you been eating clay lately? Well, you know, last week, <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. And, you know, and I don't judge these people. They believe that it really helps their health, and it might because we know that clays are great physical absorption agents. And so the clay that you rubbed on your skin just now, it's probably very dry. And basically what it does is this particular type of clay absorbs oils and toxins and water. And so if you wipe that clay off of your skin you're going to be removing probably some of the bacteria that we're in, some oils, some water, anything on the skin. So it's a physical absorptive agent, and that's known, and we've been knowing about that for years. So if you think about drinking the clay or eating the clay, will it be doing the same thing in the gut or in the intestinal tract? And there are some studies out there that show it can be beneficial. At the same time, clays can have a lot of toxic metals and toxic minerals that are part of their composition and drinking or eating too high a concentration of some of these toxic metals can hurt you. So we're not trying to advocate internalization of these clays, just topical use. You said not all clays are the same. And for example, some of them aren't the type that will actually kill bacteria. So they may not have any effect. But are there any that actually encourage bacteria to grow? There are, and we have identified a number of them in our studies. And so whenever we actually look at clays, because we're interested in clays that can kill bacteria, so antibacterial clays, but we have to screen a number of different clays in order to find these. And people will send us clays from around the world saying, oh, this is wonderful clay, it heals, blah, blah, blah. But does it kill bacteria? And so we have to do a lot of screens. And we actually have identified a number of different clay minerals that actually promote bacterial growth. So we want to be careful. You don't want to go out digging in your backyard, Marissa, for clay <laughs> and start using it as your home remedy. So could we run into the same problem as antibiotics? Well, that is the problem of the bacteria becoming immune to that treatment with clay minerals. And if so, how can we prevent it? Well, the first thing that we have to do is find out how they're killing bacteria. And at this point in time, we don't know yet. So we're doing some studies right now, and we have a bit of information that's telling us that it's somehow attacking the membrane of the bacterial cell. And so it's going to be dependent on how it's attacking the membrane. Are we attacking proteins or genes that are important in maintaining the membrane? And if so, then we could develop resistance. Or do we have a multifaceted approach? Is destroying the membrane, destroying DNA, destroying proteins, and we've got an army of clays that are killing the bacteria in an assortment of ways. And that would be almost like treating the bacteria with three or four different antibiotics. And once you have a multifaceted approach to destroy something, then it's usually not going to become resistant. But we need to be able to determine how the bacteria are actually dying before we can really get a good feel on it, whether or not we're going to see resistance. It's a really good question. It's a very good question. Something to watch out for. So do you think these clays could be used for treating other diseases? I do. Are we ever going to get into mainstream medicine with clays? I can see it both ways. We use leeches and maggots in the hospital, and I can imagine the, the hurdles that people had to jump over in order to use leeches and maggots in the hospital. And so if we determine that clay mineral treatment, at least topically, is beneficial in the treatment of some people that have different infectious diseases or different problems like eczema or psoriasis, 
would it be advantageous? And I think it absolutely is if we see a, a great benefit that is not found in traditional medicine. Are we there yet? No. Will we ever get there? Possibly. It, it's hard to know at this point in time. But, you know, I can visualize when Staphylococcus aureus or MRSA, we always think about it and we hear about it in the news of when it actually gets bad. But usually if you read about it, you hear, you know, football players at the high school or the professional football players have a cut on their skin and they develop MRSA infection. Then they're in the hospital for several days. Some of them actually die as a result. But those infections start topically. And so if you have an infection that starts topically and you can rid the body of the infection before it gets into the blood, then you've just inhibited the trip to the hospital. And saved the patient. And saved the patient. So which clays seem to be the most promising that you've found so far? Well, it's, uh, it can almost be a needle in a haystack search because the, the clays from France that were used to treat Borrelia ulcer patients, we actually had those two clays, 2000 and 2001, and the one that actually killed bacteria, of course, that's the one we're all excited about. So what we did was we traveled back to France, went to the processing plant. We got pounds and pounds and pounds of clay and brought it back to the United States. But the fact that clays are natural in the environment the earth provides it for us means that it can change. And so we brought back all those clays from France, and none of them killed bacteria. So that's why we're not working with the clays from France anymore. And so what we did, actually, we've had different people that have contacted us, said, oh, we use this clay to do this, and we use this clay to do that. And so we just started screening some of those clays. And so we found two additional clays that are in the United States that actually can kill bacteria. And so one kills a little bit better than the other, but they're both very, very effective at killing a, a wide variety of bacteria. And, you know, we haven't done any experiments beyond looking in a test tube to see if the clays can kill bacteria. We haven't done anything in humans. We're just now starting to try to figure out how the bacteria are dying. And then the more we understand, the more likely we might be able to use this in practice. Now, are we going to be able to manufacture these clays? Should we actually find the the holy grail of clays, or is this something that only Mother Nature can do? Well, you know, with some of the studies that we've actually done, we might be able to synthesize something that's natural but also synthetic because it's a mixture of chemicals, and can we get it right to synthesize it? And so are the clays important? And I think the clays are important in providing the environment and the chemistry, and the clays might also be important for topical treatment because, as you said, it feels like a lotion or a gel. And so basically the application is putting a thick gel on the wound and then every day removing it, cleaning it, putting it on again, putting a bandage. So in that regard, the clays or the hydrated clays are almost like a Band-Aid mm-hmm. right. that are antibacterial as well. All right, so now comes the fun part or at least the part that a lot of listeners like and that's where we ask three questions. And when I have my co-host, Marissa, here on the show, I like them to ask some of the questions. And we talked about this a little bit before, and Marissa is going to start us out. All right. So when did you first know that you wanted to be a scientist or a biologist? Actually, I was a sophomore in college. I knew I was interested in biology and medicine, but I floundered quite a bit. 
I changed my major in college five times before I found microbiology. So when you go to college and your parents go, Marissa, are you going to change your major every semester, every quarter? Tell her yes until I find what I really, really want to do. But you you don't want to change it all the way through your senior year, else you'll never graduate. But I actually took a pathogenic microbiology course, which are the organisms that can cause disease in humans. And I was pre-med, so I was going to go and be a physician and treat patients that had a number of different diseases. But I took this course, and a big light went off in my head because I was always interested in how those little organisms could kill us and kill humans. We must be vastly smarter than these little single-celled organisms. We have got to be much smarter than these little viruses that are tinier than the bacteria, but they can kill us. And the ones that could kill us faster were the ones I was more interested in. And so I was almost rooting for the organisms and rooting for the diseases. And so I took that course and went, wow, I can study these creatures, these little bugs that can kill us without going to medical school. And so that's the track that I took as a sophomore in college. And here I am some years later. So if you weren't a scientist, then what would you want to be? Hmm, that's a good question. Yeah, no science, none at all. No science, so no medicine, because physicians are scientists. I'm very analytical in nature, and so it would probably be like a detective of some sort, because they still get to analyze a lot of different things. Right. Maybe even forensics. But that's science. Yeah, it's back to science. It kind of gets back to the fact that you really can't remove science from just about any occupation. But it's fun to try. Yeah, yeah. And because I also thought of, okay, I like to play golf. I'm not good. And I just started playing about three years ago. But then I thought, well, run a golf course. But you still need science because you've got to make the grass grow. And when you have the dead greens that are brown – Nobody's going to come to your golf course. And so you have to understand, how do I make it green? How do I make the grass grow? How do I aerate? And that's science. We'll let you get off the hook with uh, Detective. Okay. I, I think that's, that sounds like a, actually a kind of cool job, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. and, and my brother's a detective, so I've, I've learned a little bit about it through him. And, it, and there's danger. Yeah. I like the danger. You like the danger. Well, huh? this is dangerous. I mean, yeah, I'm well, with Mercer. That could kill me. Right. It take a little. Well, no, it could kill me pretty quickly. All right. Well, let's let's not kill you off yet. Okay. Thank you, and Dr. Biology. In fact, what I'd like you to do is give us some tip. I don't want a long story, but what little bit of wisdom you might want to give someone, say, like Marissa, who might want to become a biologist. I can even broaden that to scientists just in general. Don't ever stop asking questions. Always be critical about what you're reading and what you're understanding. Because for everything that we know scientifically, someone had a question or someone made an observation and subsequently asked a question and developed the answer. So here, with the clay minerals, the French humanitarian said, could the clays that I use to treat my children be useful to treat burly ulcer patients that have an infectious disease? 
Yes or no? So she did the experiment. Yes. My question is, do the clays really kill bacteria? Yes. How do they kill bacteria? We don't know. Can we use these clays or substrates of the clays to treat people? We don't know. But they're all questions. And so a question is the most important thing to develop because you, you're going to be seeking an answer. And that's what science is all about, questions and answers, much like this interview. I guess I have one more question to add to our three questions, and that is, did you play with mud when you were young? Absolutely. My sisters and neighborhood friends, we actually made mud pies. And you make a mud pie, you have to taste it and you have to eat it. And so we would actually taste it. We were doing real science. Early on. It didn't taste very good, but it was gritty, as you would expect. But yes, played with mud and got dirty and made mud pies and, and ate it. Well, Professor Haydel, thank you for visiting with us. Thank you, Dr. Biology, and thank you, Marissa. You're welcome. And Marissa, I hope you enjoyed being a co-host. Yeah. Uh, you'd, you'd do it again? Of course. You'd recommend it to others? Yes. Okay. What was the best <laughs> part about today? Probably getting to talk to Dr. Haydel. She's cool. She's cool. cool. All right. <laughs> Not then, many young kids say that about us older people. Yeah, but. <laughs> well, you aren't nearly as old as I am. <laughs> And I agree. She's cool. All right. You've been listening to Ask a Biologist, and my guest has been Professor Shelley Hedell from the ASU School of Life Sciences and a researcher in the Center for Infectious Diseases and Vaccinology at the Biodesign Institute at Arizona State University. My co-host has been Marissa Henderson from the Mesa Academy in Mesa, Arizona. The Ask a Biologist podcast is produced on the campus of Arizona State University and is recorded in the grassroots studio housed in the School of Life Sciences, which is a division of the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences, and both the School of Life Sciences and the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences provided funding for our co-host contest. So we have to send a thank you out to them, don't we? Yeah. And also remember, even though our program is not broadcast live, you can still send us your questions about biology using our companion website. The address is askabiologist.asu.edu. Or you can just Google the words, Ask a Biologist. I'm Dr. Biology. And I'm Marissa Henderson. And teachers, podcasting is also a great project to do in your classroom or in school. We have all the information about podcasting and the contest and how you can create a contest in your own school. We have details about the equipment, the software used to create podcasts, and much of the equipment, by the way, and software is inexpensive and in some cases free.